it is an honor on this Sunday of all Sundays to join with the body of Christ here at Lone Oak First Baptist. You enter a different season now. And uh, I praise God for the honor that has been given to Brother Dan. I praise God for a, a lap in his life course that was run well. And as I um, labored a bit in prayer to think of where I would take you this morning, as Brother Hank alluded earlier, we want to talk this morning regarding some responsibility. In fact, a particular responsibility that falls to you, the body of Christ. Paul, Paul wrote the book of Galatians. Um, I, believe it is his, I believe it is the first of his epistles that we would have chronologically in our New Testament. Um, I believe we of necessity can place it in sort of the, the moment between Acts 13 and 14 and Acts 15. The, uh, the letter is written to the churches that Paul founded on his first missionary journey. Um, Pisidian Antioch, Lystra, Derby, Iconium, churches the founding of which you read about in Acts 13 and 14, uh, AD 48-49, that range. The matters addressed in the book of Galatians were matters that sort of came to a head in formal conversation and formal resolution at the Jerusalem Council of A.D. 50, which is the bulk of Acts 15. Had Paul written Galatians after that council, it seems certain he would have cited the council of Jerusalem as, as one of his sources, and he doesn't. So after the founding of these churches, or there's no one to write the letter to, but before the Jerusalem Council puts this letter very early in A.D. 50, late A.D. 49, perhaps. It's written to, again, churches of the, the Roman, pro multiple congregations in the Roman Empire province of Galatia, south, central, modern Turkey. Um, the city of Iconium, where Paul planted a church is the city of modern Kanya. Uh, Pisidian Antioch is a remarkably preserved archaeological site. We know where these cities were. Uh, and he writes. Subject matter and occasion of the letter is that these new churches, these, these baby churches that he had just planted, and remember he paid a high price there in Derby, I believe it was. He was, he was stoned and left for dead. So he had paid an enormous personal price on his first missionary journey to see the, the healthy planning of these churches. He came back through at the end of the first missionary journey doing discipleship and raising up pastoral leadership in those churches. He loved them. They were his first missionary church plants. He visits them going out on the first journey, back on the first journey, Later, he's going to visit them going out on the second missionary journey and going out on the third. So he's, they're constant in his ministry. And here, those churches have come to be attacked. But it's not a front assault. It's sneaky. Someone is poisoning someone or ones, poisoning the theological groundwater in these churches. And unfortunately, the churches are beginning to kind of lap it up. 
The poison is this. That while the gospel of Christ, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ on the cross for sinners, while that's a marvelous thing, it, 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 it can't be all of it. I mean, after all, it's been taught for centuries that in order to, to know and be loved by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the gateway to knowing God is the law. And you can't really know God unless you're willing as a prerequisite, as part of what it is to come to know God, you've got to toe the line. The gospel then can become applicable to you, but you've got to toe the line. Now look, <laughs> there's no question that we become different people, we'll talk about it in a minute, as a consequence of coming to Christ. The gospel changes us. But a purported gospel that says there are behavioral conditions as a prerequisite to coming to Christ, not consequence, but condition. If you're going to come to Jesus, you're going to have to fix this, 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 and this before you can be saved. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a dangerous counterfeit. And dangerous counterfeits for the gospel have never ceased to be a problem. Paul writes Galatians. I had a seminary professor say to me years ago that if you want to read Galatians out loud and understand how angry Paul is, he says some shocking things through the book. And if you read it slowly, you'll understand, whoo, he's ticked. That when you read this thing out loud, you ought to read it through gritted teeth and with an angry voice. Well, I can't sustain that for very long if I'm going to talk anymore today. So I'm going to read it in my more normal voice, but, but know that Paul is upset. Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 down to verse 11. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Now let me stop right there and point out. Sometimes Paul writes to the leaders. Sometimes he's writing to the elders and deacons of a church pastoral leadership and deacons of a church. Sometimes he's writing to particular individuals, as tonight we'll see when he's writing to Timothy. But in this case, he's writing to the congregation, actually, the congregations of multiple churches. So the content of Galatians is to be understood as responsibility for you if you are a part of this body of Christ. To the church, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished. Well, that's a grabber. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, 
Let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were trying, still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here's the big idea. Here's where we're headed. If you're going to take a nap, catch this sentence and then doze off and we'll see you at the end. It falls to you. It falls to you, not somebody else. It falls to you to defend the gospel of grace in this place. It is the responsibility of the congregation that every life group leader, every children's worker, every men's ministry leader, women's ministry leader, every deacon, every time anybody purports to articulate the message that is taught here, they must be faithful to the gospel of grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, or else they must be called out, shut down, and if they persist, cast out. Now what happens when there's a senior pastor is it becomes very easy to sort of passively hand that off. We don't, we don't have to worry about that. Brother Dan's got that. Well, Brother Dan has served faithfully. Praise God for him and his ministry. But he would stand beside me and agree the responsibility was not ultimately his. The responsibility, biblically, is ultimately yours. Five points, they start with P. And when I tell our media team at home that I've got a five-point message, they all roll their eyes, heave a sigh, and change their lunch reservation. <laughs> I'll try to keep your lunch reservations reasonably intact. But I want you to, since you don't have my outline in front of you, I wanted you to have five points that start with P. I was asked last night, am I fond of alliterating? I am. Roman numeral one, first thing, this abandonment of the gospel is a puzzling thing. It's a puzzling thing. Paul usually gives more words to niceties at the front of his letters. Here he, he says some, some um, kind words of greeting in verses three, four, and five, <clears throat> but he comes right out of the gate in verse six, I'm floored, I'm blown away. I can't believe what I am hearing. I am astonished. It is a puzzling thing that you would so quickly forfeit first your growth that you are deserting him who called you. You were there when you were saved. You know if you know God, you know you came to faith in Christ by trusting in his work on the cross to save you. And many of you, in, in the case of the Galatian churches and in the case of Lone Oak, many of you did not come to Jesus through the gate of the Jewish law. And yet, you know you came to faith in Christ, and now you're playing footsie with work salvation. 
Now you're flirting with a false gospel. Astonishing. And while it's probably not the case in our churches today that many are coming around purporting that you have to adhere to the Jewish law in order to be saved in our predominantly Gentile cultures, make no mistake, there are plenty of false works gospels still out there. There's a gospel that says that if you do everything right, you'll never get sick, or if you have enough faith, you'll always have money. That's not the gospel. And that is a horrifically false gospel. That Christianity is to be some happy, smiley experience like that clown down in Houston promotes. That is not the gospel. If you don't know who I'm talking about, count yourself fortunate. If you do and you like him, count yourself undiscerning. He is an enemy of the gospel. I don't care how many smiling people he can crowd into a former NBA venue, and I have said enough. Astonishing that you would turn away from your growth. Second, you turn away from grace. Salvation is by grace. You've not earned it. You can't deserve it. The moment you think you deserve his salvation, you have begun to fail to understand it. Sometimes in counseling settings, those of us who do pastoral counseling come upon people who struggle with deep feelings of unworthiness. Oh, deep feelings of unworthiness. Let me help you this morning, since I'm here for a one-off. Let me help you this morning with your deep feelings of unworthiness. This is for you. Ready? You are not worthy. You have never been worthy. You will never be worthy. He does not love you based on your character. He loves you based on his. You ain't earned it, you ain't deserved it, and you are not worthy of it. Relax! Striving to be worthy will make you nuts. He loves you. That's what grace is. If you're worthy of it, it's not grace, it's just payment. It's a different gospel. They forfeited their grounding, they forfeited their grace, they forfeited their growth. It's a puzzling thing. Second, not only is it a puzzling thing, it's a perverted thing. It's a perverted thing. The word distort in verse 7, they, they want to distort the gospel. That word distort is, is often translated pervert or twist. They want to torque the gospel of grace into something that might bear still some superficial resemblance. I mean... God the Father is still God the Father. Jesus the Son is still Jesus the Son. And a lot of the words are right. You ever try to witness to a Mormon? They'll agree with everything you say. Because they use many of the same words with a profoundly different dictionary. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Oh, yes. The reason they believe that is they believe everybody's God. It's a perverted thing, this works salvation message. It's a different message. Paul says they're trying to get you to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel. There's not. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of the work of Christ on the cross alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. This is the gospel of Christ. And this morning, if you're trusting in in your effort. I know the Word of God says a lot about striving. I know the Word of God indicates that we we walk a narrow path in a difficult way. I get that. 
But those are consequences of our salvation. That is the life of sanctification of the follower of Christ. It is not a condition of our salvation. You come to Jesus just as you are. Don't let anybody tell you you've got to clean up your act before you can come to Jesus. You come to Jesus as you are, trusting him, casting yourself on him, believing in him by faith. And if you're here this morning and there is in you either the desire to earn his favor by works or a sense of helplessness because you can't, lay it all down. Come to Jesus by faith. It's a different message. It's a different method. There are those who trouble you, says the word of God. They want to agitate. They want to poke a stick. I don't get the Jehovah's Witnesses at my door anymore. Pastor Howard or Mr. Howard, they don't know what I do for a living. Mr. Howard, we want to talk to you. Oh, that's lovely. I love talking. Oh, you want to talk about the things of God? I love talking about the things of God. But see, the problem is, and what, what you do with the Jehovah's Witnesses, this is a, it's a pro tip. I'm going to call off the platform for this one. Here's a pro tip. They come in twos. And it's usually an older one and a younger one. Target the younger one. It makes them crazy. Target the younger one and say, you do know that what he's teaching you is a false gospel. And if you trust it, you'll go to hell and roast forever. And I'm so glad you're here today so that I can tell you that the grace of God, apart from any works you could ever, forget being in the 144,000, you don't look Jewish to me. <laughs> but there will be a multitude from every tongue, tribe, and nation, an innumerable multitude gathered around the throne. And the way you get numbered in that multitude is to cast yourself by faith on Jesus. Because see, Jesus Christ is not a God, as your false translation says. He's God as much as God the Father is God. Jesus Christ is Jehovah. He's all the Jehovah there is. And their heads will explode and they'll mark you off the map. And at the very least, they won't bother you anymore when the game is on. And you might even have planted a gospel seed. It's a, it's a perverted thing, this false gospel. Roman numeral three, as I rush back to my outline. I thought so. It's a punishable thing. This, this advocacy of a gospel that's not the gospel is no small thing. And remember, it's the congregation's responsibility. Paul says that no matter who, Paul says even if, even if we, Paul says, if I come back to you with a different message, don't tolerate it. I'm not the issue. I'm not the end-all, be-all. I praise God that at McGregor, and I bet you've got it here, that I've got brothers and sisters in that congregation that I believe would literally stop the service. I sit in a similar place in our worship center. The geometry is kind of the same, so I'm real comfortable down on that pew while I'm, I'm waiting to come up. And it's possible that between that seat and this stance, I don't know, some little, some little blood vessel lets go up in my noggin. And so I get up here and in my dazed and confused state, I say, you know what, guys? Seems to me that Hinduism is a better deal. Robes have got to be more comfortable than suits. They don't do nearly as many meetings. 
they're nice people. Why don't we all just consider the validity of Hinduism? And the moment I believe in my congregation, they figure out that I'm not kidding. There's no punchline coming. I believe the service would be stopped. I believe three or four guys would love on me and pray over me as they get me out of the room to sit me in a room and figure out what in the world has gone wrong. Because McGregor Baptist Church is not Russell Howard's church. It's Jesus Christ's church. It's the Word of God's church. And I don't have the right to violate gospel integrity, no matter what title happens to have been hung on me. May it be so here. Paul says, no matter who, no matter where, no matter when, no matter what, if somebody comes to, look, we can disagree about secondary matters all day long. I, I love talking about secondary matters with Baptists. You know, the end times. Put five Baptists in a room, you'll have seven different positions on the end times. And we can have a blast with that. We can put our feet up and, and, and drink coffee or Coke Zero or whatever your, you know, uh, fun drink of choice is, and, and we can go round and round about all kinds of things. But there is no wiggle room on the gospel of grace. None. There cannot be. Paul's language here is strong. When he says, let him be accursed, he's not cussing, but he is cursing. The word is anathema. And to get the equivalent, when this letter was led, read out loud in those congregations, what Paul wrote caused all the nice church people to go, ooh. Because what they would have heard is, Paul said, when they come at you with a false gospel, you tell them, go to hell. And I'm not cussing. I'm cursing. Pronounce over them a curse. And I didn't do that for shock except to cause you to realize that's what Galatians is saying. It is gasping how profoundly you, you congregation are to be affected if the gospel gets messed with. You are at a strategic seam. If there are wolves waiting to pop up with false messages, now will be the season that they surface. Be open to the teaching of God's word, but have your radar on to detect falsehood. Because, Roman 4, it's a persistent thing. This message, this false works gospel message is not going away. Verse 9, as, as we have said before, so now I say again and again and again. I'll repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. The gospel is what it is. It falls to you, congregation, to make certain you, you can define the gospel of grace. Personally and corporately. If I challenged you right now to turn to somebody that you did not ride here with, and in three minutes, I'm not going to do it, you can exhale now, in three minutes, tell the story of your life before you were saved, how you came to be saved, and since you were saved. You ought to go, oh, that? Piece of cake, I keep it on the front burner. You can't defend the gospel of grace if you're not capable of defining it. 
and defining it in a way that includes your biography and an appeal to the lost that they too ought to come to Jesus. Not only define it, but defend it. Stand guard over it. I want to offer you three distinctives that have been under attack from the very beginning with the gospel that you should at least consider holding as your tent poles of what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. It's by no means an attempt to write a confession of faith. It's just a handy shortcut tool. If you get these three things right, you will not go far afield on the nature of the gospel. Learn these three things. The gospel first is free. The gospel is free. Those who come to faith in Christ come at no cost to themselves, for the cost has already been paid on Calvary. The gospel is free. Anybody who purports a gospel that you've got to work toward is purporting a false gospel. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Brother Hank read it earlier. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The gospel is always free. Second, the gospel is always transformative. The gospel is always transformative. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 does not say, if anyone is in Christ, he really ought to consider being a new creature. Is that what that verse says? Y'all got to talk back to me. I'll get uppity if I think I have your silent assent to everything I'm saying. You've got to either call me out when I'm wrong or smile and nod when I'm right, which you're doing. What does 2 Corinthians 5.17 say? If anyone is in Christ, he really ought to be a new creature. Is that what that verse says? No. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. New creatureness comes with the new birth in all cases. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. See, those of us who would argue for an always transformative gospel get accused of work salvation. Nothing could be further from the truth. The gospel, you are not transformed on your way to coming to Jesus. But you are transformed by coming to Jesus. And the life you live since coming to Jesus is a transformed life. In fact, let's do a little logic. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. If there is absolutely no new creature-ness, what does that tell you about your standing? You're not in Christ. And I get that our sin persists, and I get that seasons of prodigality can happen. I'm a pastor. I've seen it. But if there is an absolute lack of new creature-ness, you're just not in Christ. I don't care how many cards you filled out or aisles you walked or prayers you prayed or things you recited or whatever it is you think you did. If there is an absolute lack of a new creature nature in you, you're not in Christ. I don't care how many good deeds you've done. Paul called his pile of good deeds bathroom filth. Isaiah used similar terminology. Your good deeds are going to do you no good. But the gospel is transformative. It is in all cases free. It is in all cases transformative. And praise God, it is in all cases permanent. Permanent. If you doubt the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer, you have a foundation crack in your understanding of the gospel. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Salvation is free. And they follow me. Salvation is transformative. 
and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Salvation is permanent. That's John 10, 27 and 28. And if no other verse in the New Testament addressed eternal security, that one nails it down and there are dozens more. You don't know any ex-Christians because there's never been one. The woods are full of people who gave churchianity a try, marched along for a while, played the games, went through the motions, learned the vocabulary, maybe stuck around for years and then burned out and went and did something else. There's a modern name for it. It's called deconstructing your faith. Sounds still good on Instagram. <laughs> the word is apostasy. And those who apostatize never knew God. Salvation is free. Salvation is transformative. Salvation is permanent. You hang on to those things and you won't slip far from a biblical gospel. Define it, defend it, demonstrate it. Share your faith. Share your faith. No fruit is going to come from your life if you're not ready to tell lost people about Jesus. Be ready. We don't, we don't have to do that. Our, our pastor does that. Ooh, so we're going to spend the next few months not doing that, are we? No, it doesn't sound like this church to me from all that I've heard. Get in on it. Well, I know this, that we, we, we should, we should share, share the gospel everywhere we go and use words if necessary. I don't know that that's exactly the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but it's kind of in the top five. And I told the earlier congregation, if there's a plaque on your life group class wall that says that, go, go, go get it and take it down before you leave. The gospel is good news and good news is words. You can't share the gospel without words. Feed the hungry. Use food if necessary. What? No. And your, your transformed behavior, your new creature-ness, provides the context and backdrop so that when you do share your faith, you have a credible context within which you can do so. Yes, I was just speeding through your neighborhood and haphazardly ran over your kid and your dog while I was at it. Hey, can I tell you about Jesus? No, I mean, no. We live out our transformed lives and tell people about Jesus. We demonstrate the gospel of grace. Finally, this false message is a popular thing. It's a problem. It sells. It sells. Today in our world, the health and wealth gospel is a multi-billion dollar industry built around a gospel that isn't the gospel. There are whole denominations that purport a works-based message. They have big elaborate buildings and lots of success. But no fruit. And our response should not be to buy their books, watch their videos. Our response should be anathema. Because here, we shall guard the gospel of grace. 
If you're here this morning and you're outside of Christ, you have no other hope. I don't care how many good deeds you think you're piling up. You're a decent enough person. Anyone in the room for a Sunday morning worship service in Paducah, Kentucky is probably a decent enough person. But you're trusting in your decency to save you and it won't. You say, I'm here, Brother Russell, but I do not consider myself a decent person. In fact, I'm so far gone, I don't think even the grace of God can reach as far as I've, I've fallen. You underestimate God. Spend time in his word. You'll find out he saved people worse than you. And I don't care what you've done. He doesn't either. He'll forgive it all the moment you turn to trust him. Grace alone. Faith alone. And if you're here this morning and God has you in a place where it makes sense for you to perhaps look for a new church home, even if you've known Jesus for a while. There's conventional wisdom out there that says don't join a church during the interim because you don't know how it's going to go. Nah. What about this? May of 2023 marked the end of a defining era in the life of this church. It just did. But June 2023 marks the beginning of an era in the life of this church. Why would you not want to get in on it? Why would you not want to be able to say in time to come, I was, I was there during the interim and when we called our, our hopefully next long time chief under shepherd. Now would be a great time to join this church. In a moment, we're going to invite people to come forward and talk to somebody. If you need to talk to someone about your faith in Christ or talk to somebody about how you could become a member of this church or any other spiritual need or counsel that you need, you come on forward. But hear me carefully. The invitation response to this message is not limited or even particularly centered, though I would love to see some folks respond. The response to this message is that this body of Christ would be all the more committed to and galvanized to when a new chief under-shepherd comes. For the glory of the real chief shepherd, your next someday senior pastor will find a church that tooth and claw guards the gospel of grace in here and out there. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true and reliable, challenging. Lord, may we love you in a way that gets noticed. And then may we explain clearly what you've done for us that's caused us to love you so much. May this church, with its lighthouse reputation, have throughout the membership lighthouse character and lighthouse passion in jesus name i pray amen